Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. Do you remember a specific time where you realized your perspective on being an immigrant here in the U.S. had changed? Oh, that's a good question. I've not thought about it. At first, when I arrived, I thought I was treated like a, like a tourist, but I realized that being African-American and being African is totally different. I think the difference is a strength and not something to be dismissed. Like, I think my main perspective would just be like growing up and realizing the American dream is not real. Is there something that you wish more people would understand about what it's like to be an immigrant here? Depending on where you live, you could have a completely different experience of living in the United States. I mean, I guess I wish people understood that having a different like perspective of the world is a good thing. It's so foreign to them that they don't even know. They don't even take the time to like try to understand. Welcome to Notes from America. I'm Kusha Navadar, filling in for Kai Wright. More than 40 million people in the United States are immigrants. I'm one of them. Well, barely. I was born in Iran right towards the end of the Iran-Iraq War. This is the late 80s. Now, war is, to put it mildly, disruptive. And to put it bluntly, it completely upends your family's life for generations. Most of my family moved to the United States when I was just one and a half. My dad had to stay behind. It wasn't until six years later that we really got to see each other. So my mom, my sister, and I arrived in New York City, and I grew up in what I sincerely believe to be one of the best cities in the country. It's Albany, New York. Growing up, it's not like I tried to ignore my heritage. It's just that growing up American worked for me. But just by the virtue of my name, I was kind of marked as different. I remember starting back in kindergarten, having to make sure my teachers said Kusha, not Kausha. Now, the irony that Kusha is itself an American way of pronouncing Kusha was lost on me at the time. I guess, in a way, I didn't know how much some aspects of my life were still about auditioning as an American, like dating. When I was 17, I had a pretty bad first date. When it was over, we never talked or saw each other again. I think about it from time to time, but it's never haunted me or anything. I didn't fixate on it until almost 20 years later when she re-entered my life and I realized there was something unresolved. Our pasts are punctuated with critical moments. They come, they go, 
and most of us never get the chance to go back and revisit them. Very recently, I did, and it revealed something new to me about what it means to come of age as an immigrant in America. All right, I'm getting ready for Christina to come to my house for the second time in 34 years. Okay, technically this is my mother's house in Albany, but it's where I grew up. I'm pacing in the kitchen. The woman I'm about to see for the first time since 2005 is Christina. She lives in London now, I live in New York City, but a mutual friend put us in touch when my name was mentioned and Christina recognized it. Now, she's flying back to the States and we agreed to meet right where the first date started. This house. What's the first thing I'm gonna say? Hey, long time no see. Hey, Christina, how are you? Hey. Hey, there's a friendly face. I'm gonna make sure I gave her the right address. This house is creaky. Oh, man, I'm nervous. <laughs> oh. oh, there she is. Oh, man. Okay, here we go. Hey. Oh, my God. <laughs> how you doing? I'm good. Hello. Hi. Oh Thanks for coming. <laughs> Come on in. This is so weird. <laughs> Hey, you too. I do not look the same, but it was very generous of Christina to say. I made us tea, we sat down, settled in, and tried to figure out where to start. Maybe where we should have started 17 years ago, trying to get to know each other. Like, I know nothing about you, really, but I've had an image of you. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your family's background. Yeah. Just tell me what your life was like. Mm. I was 12 when I came to the U.S., we moved from northwestern part of Romania, which is Transylvania. Uh, my dad's a mathematician, mm. and the U.S. was still buying in talented people from all over the world, and particularly from Eastern Europe. He came here, and then we followed. Me and my sister were born there. This is wild, because I didn't remember that Christina was also an immigrant. Here's what I do remember. It was 2005. I had a lot of friends, did well in school, I just got a car. I wondered if she had the same experience as me. Mm. And what was that like moving to Albany? Rough. <laughs> um, well, ugh, like how do you even start? It's really hard to assimilate, right? I just remember that kids found it weird that you would eat cream cheese on toast or not on a bagel. And it's so ridiculous, right? <laughs> it's like I had all these thoughts and all these experiences and all these like reasons to be embarrassed mm. and they make no sense. Totally, yeah. I mean, we all had yeah. our, I had my own version of that. Like I grew yeah. up in this community. Uh, I didn't want to be anything less than like perfect, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> so then tell me your side of oh. the story. Like just walk me through what you well, I feel like happening. I should say a bit about like meeting your dad because Please, actually yeah. cuz your dad's actually the main part of this story in a way. So your dad worked with my dad mm -hmm. at the university. So actually it would have been like, if not the first year of us immigrating, like probably the second. Mm. So your dad was one of the first people that I think started to like be friends with my family. So my mom didn't have a driver's license yet. Mm. And your dad offered to like take us shopping. Mm. And then he took us to Kmart. 
That's a very distinct memory. And then I remember... This is something else I had no idea about. My dad reaching out like that, taking Christina and her family to Kmart. But it doesn't surprise me. I mean, my dad would go out of his way for other people. Which is a little complicated for me because what I felt like at that time was I was the one helping him out when he moved here, trying to navigate a lot of things in a new country. And that's why it was so surprising to me that day 17 years ago when he said, hey, Kusha, my coworker in the math department invited you and me to dinner at his house. Do you want to come with me? That was a big deal. My dad and I always felt a little distant. So to hear that he had a friend, my dad wanted me to meet this friend and get dinner with him. That was a first. So I said, yeah, okay. I remember going into your house and there was your dad, your mom, your sister, a small baby boy, mm-hmm. and you. Mm-hmm. And that was the start for me of Christina. <laughs> I don't remember that, but it makes sense, right? Like pe- my parents had dinners yeah. and people came over to the house. I would have had an awareness of you. So I think I might have been like, hmm, but I don't remember that dinner. No. After the dinner ends, I remember one of Christina's parents saying, Hey, Kusha, you should feel free to come over for dinner again. But what I can imagine is that my mom knew I had a crush on you. So she worked her magic. Like it would have been- My dad and I are driving back home. And while he's looking at the road, he offhandedly says, Kusha, I think you should go back over. Do you remember me coming back for dinner? Another night. Did you come back for I dinner? I did, yeah, a second night. Oh, this is so awkward. No, it's fine. Do you, you don't remember? <laughs> no. Okay. My mother instructed me to bring a box of cookies from Price Chopper. Oh, my God. And that is the moment etched in my mind where I learned to never show up a place like, like empty-handed. empty-handed. Like, always bring something. Oh. Your house was where I learned that. Oh, that's super nice. Yeah. Let me ask you, do you think- Afterwards, we went down to the basement with her sister, and we watched the movie Garden State. What are you listening to? The shins. You gotta hear this one song. It'll change your life, I swear. Christine and I sat pretty close together. No, so I don't remember this, although my sister does, which is hilarious because she's like, I remember that so clearly, but I don't. Like, not at all. And then, like, it's vague from there on as well. Like, I think we went to the school play, but this time. Yes. And then on the night of our actual date, we definitely went to a school play. My local high school was performing the Stephen Sondheim classic, Into the Woods. I remember waiting for Christina that Saturday night in my living room, and a car pulls up to the driveway. Out walks Christina, her mom, and her dad. And I remember opening the door to our house and immediately my 17-year-old brain realized that, oh, this is a date. The hormones were flying, but I felt like my brain hadn't caught up to my body yet. My parents insisted on driving me to this house, which was mortifying for me being like 15, 16, I think, when we met. And so... By that point, I sound an American, I looked American, and I don't know if the insecurity was like an immigration-driven insecurity or like a teenage Mm girl-driven insecurity. And actually, it was probably both. We watched the show, but afterwards, there's this gap of time to fill. So here I am, I have a date, I have a car, and I ask myself, what should we do next? 
And here's the part of the date I can't forget. I asked Christina, do you want to go to the grocery store? Price Chopper in Albany, New York at 10.30 p.m. on a Saturday. Do you remember Price Chopper? No. Oh my gosh. We walked around for 10 minutes and then we left. Questionable. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the mall. We went to the mall? Yeah. And I remember this very distinctly because I wore high heels. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I was trying to impress. Mm. And actually, that mall's pretty big. And walking in high heels at the mall was super uncomfortable. So I do remember that. What did we do in the mall? I said, should we get a piercing? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. Do you remember? Okay. And we went to Claire's. (laughs) And then the woman quoted us like $100 to get my ear pierced. And then I was so mortified because I didn't have $100 and I felt like I was so disappointing. After like being like, let's go get a cool piercing. (laughs) And then I remember your car. (laughs) (laughs) Do you? Do you remember the car? My car. It was a 1994 Toyota Celica GT Coupe. Pearl white, black leather interior stick shift with an aftermarket alpine radio that had two colors green and neon red i was so proud not just that i owned a car but that i owned a celica having your own car to me felt like a rite of passage and the sportier the better like i think you would have been cool because you you have this like way of talking that's like your talent like you're like very chatty and like charming and then it would have been like wow this guy's older and oh I'm going on a date with the guy with the car. (laughs) Toyota Celica, two-door, yeah? Two-door. Two-door. I don't remember the color. White. Okay, but it had the sunroof thingy. Yeah. And I think the reason this car is etched in my memory, because it was probably the most awkward moment of the date, although there were many, (laughs) which was us driving to a pretty dark woodland area (laughs) and just sitting in the car and of course because i had watched enough rom-coms by that point to have it really etched in my memory that if you're in a car with a boy you're gonna kiss or at least you should if he likes you and it never happened (laughs) it never happened i remember not knowing what to do in that car because I didn't want to hurt Christina's feelings, but I just did not feel ready. So we just sat there, and I remember I was like, so you want to see how the moonroof works? And I also don't think we were there for that little. Like, we, like, hung around this darkened area in the car for a while. After some more silence, all I thought to say was, so you want to go back home? And I drove her home. I dropped her off. And that is the last time we talked to each other. And this is where my memory sort of gets a little sad. Yeah, it like it sort of comes to like a crashing, slightly painful feeling. Uncool, unpretty, rejected. Like all this sort of feelings that you kind of carry with you that you feel when you're 15 and then the other part in my head had to do with like immigration for sure like I felt like I was too foreign for you yeah 
Like I felt like I was way too fresh off the boat mm. for you to comfortably engage with. Mm. That's genuinely my feeling. Was it something I did or something that... Well, it's funny because earlier you said that your experience of immigration is not that you sort of felt like you needed to fit in because you already did. But it was this feeling that you always wanted to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And I was completely imperfect. Mm. So that's literally how I walked away with it, or rather how I processed it and have been carrying it. Yeah. As a memory. Oh, I'm so sorry, because that's so far from the truth. <laughs> that is, that sounds like it must have been really tough. I can say, I remember meeting you and thinking, oh, this is somebody that I would aspire to be with because she makes me feel like I'm American because she seems very American. Whoa. Yeah. That's. So nuts. <laughs> yeah. It was never a question for me about mm. you. I remember being like, what am I doing? <laughs> I feel like I am not ready for this. Let's go to safe places. Let's go to, <laughs> let's go in my car, price chopper. <laughs> and then when I dropped you off, I remember thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. So much of my mind back then was about doing well in school and doing well in clubs, giving nobody a reason to think anything besides like, oh, I was good. I had no space for like hanging out with girls or like having emotional connection. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's really well said. And having a date was like going from zero to 60 really fast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if I was still a 15 year old girl, I would have like loved to hear you say like, oh, I thought you were cute, blah, 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 blah. But I think I'm not a 15-year-old girl anymore. So I think, like, I've long been over that cycle of insecurity with myself. And so I think the part that, like, remains is this, like, clash of identities or clash of identity struggles. But I don't know what I make of it yet. Yeah. It will take me, like, a while to be, totally. like, to, like, process. Yeah. yeah. Because I carried, like, this, like, rage <laughs> with mm. me for a while. Mm. Like, I don't think, I don't know you, but I don't think I liked you. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's nice to talk about those feelings because it's not, like, I don't want to, like, carry them, right? I really appreciate you telling me. And it hurts my heart to hear because it is unintended consequences from it sounds like my own challenges that I was going through, but it's not a, always about intent. It's about outcome. And that just, I'm so sorry to 16 year old Christina. And I'm slightly pissed off at 17 year old Kusha right now. <laughs> Seventeen years ago, I took a girl to go see Into the Woods. It was a peculiar, painful moment. And now, talking it through with Christina, I feel bewildered, vulnerable, and realizing just how much he was a part of this whole story, I just want to pick up the phone and talk to my dad. Yes, Kusha, I'd like to talk to you. 
I love you and uh, I am proud of you. Okay, so... Here's the thing. My dad passed away very unexpectedly, just two months before Christina and I reconnected. This date was one of the closest moments my dad and I had while I was growing up that I felt like we shared it, just us. I wanted to ask him, what did he remember about the story? How did he see me back then? Now, Christina's the only person I can really hash this out with. But she knew him. And she said something that sounded a lot like my dad. What takeaways are most important to you? Mm. I, I think there's just... There's just like a kindness that I would apply to myself now um and probably like just like a recognition that like immigration was rough but and like there's this is one of those moments that was rough and it for some reason I haven't quite worked out the link but it's linked to being an immigrant for some reason whether it's because it was so early or because we both had the background or because like by default our parents being involved is an immigrant experience I'm not quite sure but I think there's just something around like recognizing it's not as negative. It's just so much more universal or it's just so much more common. It's it's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay, baby Christina. <laughs> it's okay, little hug. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being such a fantastic person to go on a first date with. <laughs> Even if I royally screwed that one up. <laughs> we, bo- we botched it. We botched it. Well... I'll always be an immigrant, and as I move into different phases of my life, I'm not just becoming more proud of that, I'm also realizing it's getting more textured, that there's more to unpack about how I move through the world. Does that strike a chord for anyone else listening? If you were born in a different country, how has the meaning behind that evolved for you? Are you more proud of it? Is it more complicated, or has it stayed the same? Call us. Joining us now is Saba Tahir, a young adult novelist. Her book, All My Rage, touches this topic in a way that I feel is super special. It also draws on her own experience moving to the U.S. and growing up in the Mojave Desert at her family's 18-room motel. Saba, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That was so fascinating to listen to. (laughs) I appreciate you listening to it. We're going to get into it a little bit. From your side, when you were one, you moved to the U.S. from England, right? And your family has roots in Pakistan. You've called the town you grew up in in the U.S. to be pretty isolated. What made you feel that way? And as you listened to that first aid story, did any of the themes resonate with your own experience? Um. So the town was isolated because it was actually around 160 miles from any really large city. It was out in the middle of the desert. There wasn't much close by. I didn't actually, I'd never been to like a real mall until I was 13. Mm. Um, And that was a mall in a place called Palmdale, California, which I later learned 
everyone in Los Angeles thought was kind of a wasteland, but I thought it was the height of sophistication. <laughs> so that just shows you exactly how remote uh, this town that I grew up in was. Um, when I was listening to you talk, I was actually, you know, you and Christina talking, I was thinking about how, you know, as immigrants, we grow up and we are, we're made so aware of our like wrongness, our inability to fit in, like the otherness of us that actually when things do go wrong, that's the first thing we go to. Mm. Right. And when I was listening to you guys talk to me, I was like, this just sounds like any 17 year old and 15 year old going on a date for the first time. It could be anybody. And you know, their parents could have come over on the Mayflower, you know, or, or it could be, you know, um, two kids going on a date in England or in any country in the world, like that awkwardness. I think that's part of the age and not so much because we're immigrants, but, but, but again, it's like, that's the thing that we turn to like, oh man, if I just, if I just fit in better, this wouldn't have happened. Right. It's that first layer that you always need to pass, I guess is what I hear you say, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it makes me think of your book, actually, because that's one of the things that that comes up in it, All My Rage. Uh, one of my favorite lines of the book happens about three quarters of the way through. The main character finds herself in an impossible situation. Everyone is, is, is judging her without really seeing her. And she says this line, it's, in this moment, I wish I were a poet, not to speak beauty, but to speak pain. Where did that line come from for you? I mean, was it something purely from the character or was it any way related to your own experience? Oh, definitely related to my own experience. Absolutely. Um, I think part of the reason why I began to write was I didn't feel like there was an outlet for um, the emotions that I was feeling the most prominent of which was was anger and rage um, and frustration. Um I'm a Muslim, and for a long time now, Muslims aren't really allowed to get angry because it's considered kind of scary when we do. <laughs> um, and I, I grew up with that in my head, you know, that I'm not supposed to, and I'm also a woman. And um, I think that, you know, for those who identify as women, being angry, being frustrated, there's so much negativity that comes with that from people's judgment on us. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that too was, was a reason that I kind of felt like I couldn't really, um, explain my anger. And I so often wish I had better words to explain it. And that's what I'm channeling for Nur. That's the character who, mm -hmm. who feels that way in that moment is, is that she wishes that she could just explain, you know, how, how much pain she's in. Do you um, feel like, sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. <laughs> well, do you feel like that's maybe what brought you to writing in the first place? Is that experience of trying to gain the vocabulary? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, and, and also writing was a safe place. You know, I mean, writing was one of the only safe places I could completely could create and control my own world, especially when I was writing fantasy books, which was, you know, the first books that I, I published. And the first things I started to write were fantasy stories, because it's like, I'm making up a world in which I'm not an immigrant. You know, the brown characters are not the outcasts. They're 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 not the ones who are different. They just are. They just exist the way anyone, you know, anyone exists in, in, in the world. Yeah. And existing in the world is is the core theme of this episode in a way. Tell me, how has the significance of being an immigrant changed for you over the course of your own life? Like when you compare yourself to just moving here to right now, what's that progression been like for you? 
You know, I think that it's something that I started off not understanding or knowing. Then I became very, very keenly aware of it um, to the point where it felt like a, a millstone. It felt like this weight that I carried um, to now really being very proud of it. And there was there was actually a moment where it was crystallized for me how how proud I should be to be an immigrant. And that was when COVID started. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, all these people were talking about how difficult it was to be away from their families, to not see people, to not connect. And I was thinking about my parents, my siblings and I, and how we didn't see our family for years at a time. We didn't talk to them on the phone because, you know, this is back in like the eighties when if you wanted to talk to someone on an international call, there was no FaceTime and you had to get a card and you had to scream into the phone <laughs> for them to hear you 10,000 miles away. And so, you know, I realized like there's so much strength in our people. Cause I remember when, when this happened, you know, my parents were like, Oh, well, you know, at least we'll get to see you on FaceTime. At least we'll get to talk to you on the phone. I mean, that's not something they ever had. So that's where I kind of started realizing that being an immigrant has made me very strong. And has made my people, you know, my family, my friends, people from Pakistan specifically has made us very strong. And do you feel like that strength was wrought through the challenges or do you think it was a better understanding of, of all that it entailed? Or tell me more about the strength. I think that in part, it's because every time you survive something, you or I, I shouldn't apply this to everyone, but every time I survive something, I gained a little bit of knowledge and I was like, okay, now I know how to go through that. <laughs> you know, and then you have so many experiences that might be negative that if you get to a point where you feel pretty confident about how to get through some of those ne negative interactions that might happen, how to sometimes diffuse them or how to walk away or how to, um, you know, stick up for yourself and fight for yourself. And every experience makes you a little wiser. And so that is, I think, you know, why I have, I have felt stronger and why I have sort of been keenly aware of that strength. And maybe in just 30 seconds that we've got here, tell me more about how it's helped you interact with the world a little bit. I hear that. Like now, how, how do you feel that it's done that compared to before? I think I'm a much more empathetic person. I think I have much greater empathy for people, whether they're immigrants or not, you know, whether they're struggling through the things I've struggled through or not. Um, I think it's taught me a lot of kindness. Oh. Let's pause there. I'm talking to Subba Tahir, author of All My Rage, about the significance of coming from a different country and growing up in the U.S. And listeners, we're taking your calls. Does being an immigrant mean something different to you today than it did when you first moved here? More to come. Stay with us. We often think of universities as isolated ivory towers, but the fact is politics have always been present on campus. This is Kai, and after you're done with our show, take a listen to the New Yorker Radio Hour, where David Rimnick talks with students at Harvard. It has been a tense time. Students have tried to have dialogue over how they see the world, even as they respond to tragedies and crimes overseas. Reporters from the Harvard Crimson, this week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Vanessa, the show's intern. I want to remind you that we're collecting listener responses to our episode this week. Here's something I'd love to hear from you. 
When it comes to this experience of moving through different phases of life as an immigrant in America, what other questions or personal experiences come to mind for you? What do you think other people misunderstand about these experiences? And what topics related to growing older as an immigrant in America would you like us to do a segment about next? We'd love to hear from you. You can email us. The address is notes at wnyc.org. You can also send us a voice message. Just go to our website, that's notesfromamerica.org, and click on the green button a little way down the page that says start recording. Thanks. Hope to hear from you soon. It's Notes from America. I'm Kusha Navadar, and I'm joined by Saba Tahir, author of All My Rage. Everyone, we're taking your calls. If you were born in a different country, how has the significance of that fact changed over the course of your life here in the U.S.? Before we get to our first call, Sub, I have a question for you. Um, do you ever talk to teens who were born outside the U.S. and, and live here about your books? What, what resonates with them about your writing? Um, I think what resonates with my readers the most is the universality of some of the issues that I discuss. And it's not something I necessarily do on purpose. I don't go into writing a book thinking, how do I make this as universal as possible? Because that makes for a very boring book. Instead, I try to bring out you know, the things about the characters that I find fascinating. I really focus on character when I write. And so what my readers end up connecting to is like, oh, you know, this character you know, loves music just like I do, or this character is really into writing just like I am, or this character is very loyal to their family just like I am. And they start to connect to the characters in this way that makes them feel seen. And I remember that as a kid reading, you know, my favorite books, you know, connecting to characters because they had similar traits to me or because their experiences mirrored something in my own life. So that's usually what they come to me with. Gotcha. My and readers. Does it strike you that there's any difference in how they talk about their coming of age experience here in a way that maybe that's different than how you might have or, or, or I might have back in the day, I guess? Well, I think a lot of it is about so many readers, young readers now are finally seeing themselves in story. And that's not something that you or I probably really had. I don't remember ever reading a book about not even just a, a Pakistani kid, but like a, a Muslim kid or a brown kid. <laughs> like, let's just go broader and broader. I didn't How broad can we go? I didn't see. Exactly, you know? And so just being able to to see these stories with, with people who look, you know, like us, act like us, are from the same place as us, it's very validating. It, it allows us to know that we're here, we're present in the world, and that we're we're speaking our stories and, you know, we're being remembered. And I think that that's something that a lot of my readers really relate to in both my fantasy books and and the contemporary All My Rage. Yeah. Let's go to the phones. Uh, we're going to hear from Sharmila in Mansfield, Massachusetts. Sharmila, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Thanks for calling. Um, good, thank you. So tell us, how has the significance of... Uh, well, let me ask first. Are, are, were you born outside the country? I don't want to assume. Yes. I was born and raised in Sri Lanka until I was 24, and I 
I got married in Sri Lanka and I moved to US. I am a single mom right now. Um, I mean, the part that's really sad is, you know, you come to US thinking that, you know, it's going to change, you know, you have this dream, but, you know, I felt like, you know, no matter what, how much the education that you get and how much you try to assimilate, you know, it's, it's just, I feel like deep inside me, I'm a lost citizen because I'm not either. Now. I can't go back to Sri Lanka. I feel like, you know, I'm, I, it's, it's a very big cultural shock. Even in in states, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not there, you know, it's, it's just, it's tough. Yeah, I hear that. that. That idea of a lost citizen, I think, is something that is hard to understand unless you've experienced it and and lost it isn't such a wonderful or such an accurate and tragic way of describing it thank you can i ask you um how has that evolved for you has it changed were were you expecting something different when you got here versus when uh we are here today tell me more about that yeah um, of course, you know, when I got here, I was 24 and, you know, you think at that 24, you can do anything. You're young and you're naive and you jump into all those things. But then later on, you get these feelings. You understand that, you know, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not part of this society now, you know, but you you go through colleges, you get your, you know, certifications and all that. But Still, I feel like deep inside, you know, it's very hard to get recognized sometimes. Mm, yeah. Thank you so much, Sharmila, for sharing that and uh, and wishing you the best. Um, let's move on to Katayun in the Bronx. Katayun, hi. Hey, Kusha, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Thanks um, so much for calling. Thank you for taking the call. Absolutely. Uh, I was just wanting to respond to your idea of the transitions that one goes through as an immigrant and... Um, as a young kid, I grew up during the hostage crisis. So I definitely tried to hide my immigrant status. Um, and then as I went through high school and started to think about college, I was in this weird um, middle ground where I had a highly educated father, but he had been uh, educated in Iran. So he knew nothing about college or how to help his young daughter apply for college. And I had to figure it out all by myself. And now as a professor myself, um, I see like how difficult it is for so many of the immigrant students, you know, in the New York City area to navigate um, higher education. And so Hmm. I think like the last caller said, I feel like not only do I sometimes have to wear the first gen hat as someone who comes from a family with education, but I'm also a first gen professional. Like I didn't really have anybody to learn from. Um, and so my, my immigrant status is something I actually carry as a badge and I really try to connect to the immigrant students and the students who are first gen from that angle. So it's been a real shift for me as someone who hit it as a young, young person and now sort of, um, is ablaze with it, I guess. <laughs> mm, Katayun, thank you so much. That is, that's such a fascinating idea that you have these geopolitical influences, but also that you're first gen in so many ways, not just like, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to date, but no, I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out how to be a professor here. (laughs) Uh, Saba, could you respond to that (laughs) a little bit? Could you say, you know, how how is that for you? And Katayun, thank you again so much. Go ahead. Well, it kind of, it kind of gives, it puts a responsibility on your shoulders a bit, right? For the next generation, because you want it to be easier for them. You don't want them to go through that. Um, and you want to be able to guide them. And there's this sense of like, 
especially for you know people within your field even who are who are immigrants who are trying to make it i mean that's who i'm drawn to when it comes to mentoring when it comes to helping when it comes to boosting it's like you know i want to help the people who who i understand that plight because i went through it Absolutely. Uh, Kat Tayun, thank you again. Didn't mean to cut you off there, but really appreciate you calling. Um, let's move on to caller number... Oh, okay. We've got caller one here. Yesha from Brooklyn. Yesha, hi. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, yeah, close enough. <laughs> uh, how, how do you pronounce it? Uh, it's Yesha, but it's like a, you know... Yesha, thank you so much. Some people, Yeah, thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Um, Go and ahead. I just want to say, thank you for taking my call in. I'm fangirling a little bit right now because I'm a, I'm a, a children and teen librarian. So I can't believe that I'm on the same call as the boss. <laughs> oh, yay. Hi. Thank you for everything you do. Hi. The heroes right now. So always, actually. <laughs> thank, so thank you for you. writing the books. <laughs> yeah. um, but what propelled me to call is like just hearing the dating story and stuff and like, I came to this country when I was one. So, I, I, you know, I had just turned one before coming. And so for all intents and purposes, I mean, in like the, my school world, I had quote unquote grew up being American, yet I never felt American. I was always made to feel like I was not from here um, in terms of acceptance, in terms of everything. And then it wasn't until like I was like a freshman in college taking anthropology class where I constantly referred to like my, you know, me being Indian and my Indian family and my Indian culture. Um, and my anthro professor was like, what are you talking about? You're American. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Hmm. I didn't become an American citizen until I was 17. And he was like, how old were you when you got here? And I'm like, one. And he's like, you've lived for 17 years in this country. You're, you're American. And that it took that kind of argument for me to be like, oh, maybe I'm allowed to claim being American too, hmm. you know? Um, and then I felt like I couldn't win either way because in until then, or even through then in American society, I always was like kind of seen as being Indian. Whereas at home, you know, family members would be like, Oh, stop being, don't get too American. Like, you're, you're getting too American. <laughs> right. Don't do that. Right. I think a lot of people can actually relate to <laughs> yeah. that piece. You're so. stuck. <laughs> you're stuck between two worlds. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, and, go oh, ahead. Sorry, yeah. One more thing I, I said to your, your screener is that I, because I work with kids and teens now, I see that there's been a leap forward. And, and I think it does have to do with like, the, you know, kids being able to see themselves in media in books, um, in films and TV, um, that like they, that South Asian, at least South Asian kids that I've seen, like definitely, you know, they use the word American when describing themselves. Hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes they hyphenate, sometimes they don't. Um, and I, I think that's great that like that getting to see themselves out in the world, getting to see role models has helped with that. Yeah. And well, first of all, Yesha, thank you so much for calling. Uh, to pick up on your last point there, um, reading this book, All My Rage, I know for me, uh, it made a difference because I had never read something like that when I was a teenager. Now, there are themes in there that go far beyond just what we're talking about tonight. But just to see that um, these things we're talking about tonight are a part of it was very special. So I can imagine how that must feel for, you know, 16, 17 years old. Let's go to Lewis in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Lewis, hi. Hello. How are you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Uh, go ahead. Uh, yes. Um, well, I came here when I was uh, a teenager. I was uh, 13, 14 years old. And uh, I came here from Guatemala, so uh, not as far away from, uh, from a few of your colors. Mm -hmm. 
but um, I was just discussing with your screener that it's um, it's actually it actually feels kind of weird because uh, I don't uh, feel myself as an American. At the same time, I don't feel like I'm still Guatemalan. Like, uh, and I've been here for about 20 years of my life as it is. So it's uh, kind of a, a bit of a crisis of identity, about nationality, if we can call it that. Mm. Absolutely. You know, one of our, I think our first caller actually was talking about that idea of being a lost citizen. How does that resonate for you? Um, I think uh, I was uh, thinking something more, more along the lines of like, maybe this uh, this is what feels uh, like being stateless. But uh, the, I, I didn't want to call it that just because that's even more, uh, how can I put it, more extreme, a more extreme way of uh, saying it, so to speak. Absolutely. But yeah, that would, that would actually resonate a little bit. It does resonate a little bit. Uh, and, and tell me, what do you think would be able to improve that feeling of, of place, of belonging for you? Um, well, part of it, I think it's, um, it's that I need to work on myself because uh, just that, um, that uprooting on that uh, critical period of my life, I think did, uh, did uh, change me or warm me in a way that I might need uh, a, couple, a couple of sessions with a therapist just because like, uh, I lost all my friends, I was falling in love for the very first time in my life, and then I was yanked out of my environment and put into this random other place where I didn't speak the language. Mm-hmm. You know, So I, I think uh, a little bit of that on my end, but also uh, it's kind of uh, difficult uh, to integrate yourself over here when you also see that there's also that those people that don't accept you for being an immigrant as well, like every now and then you think you're integrating yourself and then you see like, oh, yes. Like uh, you see it on the news, you know, something happens, someone gets, uh, there's some sort of racism or something on the news. And then you realize that, oh yes, that's right. This could happen to me. Gotcha, gotcha. Like um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not. Lewis, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Mucho gusto. Thank you so much for calling in and, and, uh, and sharing that with us. Um, two more callers. going to get to them quickly. First one, Kareem in Chicago. Hi, Kareem. Uh, hi, how are you? Thank you for your show. I'm listening to you. I'm really enjoying it. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so me, I, I moved from Algeria, which is in North Africa, uh, to Chicago like uh, 18 years ago. And first was difficult because of the language, because of the immigration status. But uh, after a while, when you learn the language, you adapt, you know, you work, you study, you integrate very easily. I mean, even if I'm Arabic, I'm Muslim, it's a, ma- it's a matter of doing an effort. I mean, I come from a country where we had barely any rights. And uh, I have kids here, they're U.S. born. And, and I tell them every day, you're lucky you were born here. Like me, when I was a kid and I was in Algeria, I was abused. They hit us. They forced us to speak Arabic by force. They, they forced us like, to be Muslims by force. Here you come here, you're, nobody's bothering you. Uh, you live your life. I mean, I can go to the mosque, nobody's bothering me. I mean, you know, when you're going for the judge, in most cases, the judge is going to be fair. There's barely any corruption. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I love it here. Absolutely. This is my country. Yeah. Kareem, thank you so much. It, it it resonates with me how you say there's all these different ways that we can, you know, find ourselves uh, coming from Algeria and trying to understand how it evolves over time is really difficult. And, and Saba, I, I want to talk to you right now as we've heard all these calls. And again, there's t- too many for us to get through. So thank you all so much. But one thing that strikes me while I think about all these calls and even as our two stories is just how wide the spectrum is of experiences here of being an immigrant. But is there a through line for you? I think one of the things that I'm hearing is where do we belong? 
you know, if we don't belong here and we don't belong there, where, where is our place? And I think one of the things that I've found over my life is, you know, my home is with my friends and my friends are almost all, like very close friends are almost all immigrants themselves. And we've created kind of our own country <laughs> and our own home and our own space. And that's something that, you know, if there are people who feel lost, you know, that is something that I hope that they can turn to is just, you know, if you don't feel like you have a home, if you if you do feel like that lost citizen, you know, finding the people who understand that deeply in their bones. Mm. I appreciate how you can feel it deeply in your bones. It's a part of your DNA. Yeah. As you think about the next chapter of your life, how do you hope your um, place as an immigrant evolves? I hope that I'm always grateful for the opportunities that I've gotten here in America that I might not have gotten if I lived elsewhere. Um, and I hope that I'll always keep that empathy for anyone who's new and finding their place and finding their footing and struggling and that I will always be willing to reach out a hand. I think that's something that has actually, it is one of the things that has really made America special mm. um, is, is, is the fact that immigrants do that for each other, that they, they reach out a hand, they help the people who need it. Um, just like, you know, your father helped Christina's family. <laughs> yeah, that was wonderful, wasn't it? And and, and yeah. even though it was news, it's such a nice gift to get even yeah. after the fact, right? Um, yeah. Saba, let's, let's leave it there. Um, Saba Tahir is the author of All My Rage, winner of the National Book Award. The trade paperback releases March 7th. Thanks so much, Saba. Thank you. Now, if you have something to say about tonight's episode, and it looks like a lot of you do, send us a message. Thank you all so much for your calls. Our email is notes at wnyc.org. You can also record a message on our website. Go to notesfromamerica.org and click on the green button that says start recording. Hopefully we can do a follow-up segment to this one. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Our theme music and sound design is by Jared Paul. Milton Ruiz was back at the boards for the live show. Our team includes Regina Dehir, Karen Frillman, Vanessa Handy, Rahima Nasa, Kai Wright, and Lindsay Foster-Thomas. Our executive producer is Andre Robert Lee, and I'm Kushan Avidar. As always, I hope you'll join us for the live version of the show next Sunday, 6 p.m. Take care of yourselves and each other. Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting, but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.